Welcome to the Westside Gathering Podcast, and thanks for making the time to learn and grow with us. Here, you'll find teaching from our live Sunday gatherings. After the message, we'll say a little more about our church and how you can connect. But for now, let's jump right in. Huh, I'm not speaking today. I'm very excited to listen and learn and not talk about Revelation for a little bit. Um, we are, by the way, jumping back in next week, but it's the last two chapters, and it's a, a short mini-series called Anticipation of Hope. And uh, it, it's, it, I'm really excited to jump into the last two chapters during our Advent season. But today, we're kicking off Advent with a guest and a friend, and his name is Tim Keener. And Tim, I'd love you to come up. Tim is, um, is a friend, but also a colleague, and uh, Tim is the director of Christian Direction. It's an organization in our city that's been around for over 40 years. Um, been present, uh, serving in Montreal, not himself personally, because I don't think he was, you know, ready to be part of that organization 40 years ago, you know. Uh, I know you got white on your beard, but you can't be, you know, you wouldn't have been around then. Uh, but um, Tim uh, gives leadership to that, that organization. Uh, some of you hear about the West Island Network that uh, Westside has helped start and been a part of, uh, getting local pastors to pray together and helping churches in our region collaborate together while well, West Island Network and Christian Direction work together. Um, they help us out with a lot of administrative things and also some uh, structure and, uh, and their heart for the city helps us in understanding our heart for the region. And so, Tim, it's so good to have you around today. I'm grateful to know you and to work alongside you in a few different ways. And we're glad that you're, like, helping us start Advent today. It's really good. So God bless you. Thank you, David. All right. And David didn't mention, but he's actually been serving on our board as well at Christian Direction, which I'm really, really grateful for. And I told him recently that one of the reasons why I appreciate his presence on our board is because he brings um, a pastoral uh, kind of touch to the conversations and a, and a good discernment. So you guys have a great pastor, right? Yeah, so. David, I, I, I just dream of being one of David's besties. So I can spend more time with him. All right, so I do work with Christian Direction. And uh, I'm not going to say a whole lot about Christian Direction. And the reason being is because um, you can find a lot online. So I'm going to invite you, if you have a cell phone, I'm going to invite you to do a couple of things. You can either open your browser on your cell phone and you can look up direction.ca, super easy, like Christian Direction, direction.ca. Also, you could open up Facebook. If you like Facebook, if you are prone to uh, look at Facebook when David's talking about Revelation up here, you can, uh, you can look for Christian Direction on Facebook and you'll find it. Uh, particularly, we have one program that we're raising money for. A lot of other things have been mentioned right now that you can give and support, and that's amazing. I'm going to add one to the list that you can check out. It's called Connections. It's a program that we run downtown in the Peter McGill neighborhood. And we have a small cohort of about a dozen students that are students for, who, for various different reasons, can't study in a mainstream classroom. They're young adults, like uh, trying to get their secondary, um, the secondary uh, school diploma. And we provide them with uh, an individualized education that, uh, that they can kind of follow in their cohort. Uh, these kids are amazing kids, and they're raising money. Uh, Giving Tuesday is this Tuesday, if you didn't know about that. So you may see on your social media feed, or in your email, different community organizations and ministries who are raising money. So as David said, let's be rich in the way that we give back, um, in the way that we share. So uh, Christian Direction, if I had to put it into one phrase, I often say to people, the short version of Christian Direction is this. We help Christians and churches put their faith into action. It's as simple as that. 
Um, so it can be food security programs. Uh, we recently worked with a, um, a Haitian church in North Montreal that opened up a cyber cafe in their neighborhood. Uh, we have summer gardening programs that employ uh, young adults into, into it, we actually work through the Canada Ser uh, Service Canada Summer Jobs Program. We put kids to work in urban gardens and in different kind of volunteering. And all the while that they come in, we provide them with what's called the Urban Lab, which is like a discipleship training. Uh, it's an amazing work. Check us out online. Check us out on social media. And, uh, and I'd be happy to come back as well uh, for another visit to Westside in the future. So, so today we're entering into Advent. And um, I wanted to start with an image that you should see on the screen of a very large clock. And this clock is an astrological clock that I saw in the city of Prague a few years back. It's a great uh, tourist uh, destination. It's really, it's really amazing to see it up close. And this clock will tell time. It'll tell you where the sun is, the moon, and the planets. It's 608 years old. And it serves as a clock and a calendar for people. Now, of course, these days, we wear Apple Watches. And it will tell the time, it will tell the date, it will tell you your heart rate, and you can even pay for your latte with your, with your smart watch these days. But time is important to all of us, and Advent is a particular time. And so I wanted to touch a little bit on this, this notion of time this morning. The church is concerned with time, just like we're all concerned with time. Uh, you might know that traditionally there's what's called the Liturgy of the Hours. Uh, the church for hundreds of years has been following the hours of the day with prayer. There are morning prayers, there are afternoon prayers, there are evening prayers, there are nighttime prayers, and we're not as familiar with them in the evangelical tradition of the church, but these prayers were a basic part of timekeeping in the church. That's why Church bells ring at certain intervals during the day to remind people that it's, it's, it's either time for the morning prayers or the afternoon prayers. Of course, we also have a weekly schedule in the church. We have a week that ends with a day of rest for all of us and a day of worship for those of us who worship on Sundays. And then there are finally seasons in the church. And again, in the evangelical tradition, that's your main uh, stream of the church, you might not be as familiar with that when people mention Advent or Lent. They're a little bit more known in the Catholic stream or um, the mainline streams. But those seasons include Advent, Christmas, Epiphany, Lent, Easter, and then Ordinary Time. And so I put, a, I put an image up there that we actually use in our church um, with our children to help when we switch gears for different seasons. We put this up on the, on the screen and we help them understand that if you follow the church calendar from Christmas through Lent, you kind of follow the story of Jesus. And then after that, you hit the summer months. And what are the summer months? The summer months are the working time. Those are the growing, that's the growing season. Green is the color for that season. So, you know, if you're not familiar with this, it's really, really rich that we have these traditions of timekeeping and season keeping. Now, in the ancient world, the Greeks had two words for time. And this is important to us because the New Testament that we read is actually, was actually written in Greek and recorded down in Greek. And so when we read the New Testament, we see two different words that are used. Uh, one word is the word chronos. Now, chronos, you might hear in that word chronology, or chronological, or chronometa. Um, so chronos is the type of time that we mean when we say, what time is it? 
or when we say how much time is left, or how long are we going to be studying the book of Revelation, David? Uh, it's the kind of time that ticks away um, and kind of eats away. But there's another kind of time. There's a time that actually gives, that actually produces. And that Greek word is the word kairos. And a good way to understand the word kairos is to think of a tulip. There is a certain time that tulips are ready to emerge in the spring. When the conditions are right, they start to bust through the ground and to grow and then eventually bloom. Or in this season, we might, uh, well, later in the, in the winter, we might talk about the right season for tapping the maple trees. Like when you, when you find the right moment, then the, the maple trees are ready to, to give off their sap. So there's this, these two types of time. One, chronos, is a destructive kind of time. It's the time that consumes all things. You can't get away from the chronos. I don't have enough time. I don't have time for this. I don't have time for that. In fact, it's interesting that the Greeks had a god named Kronos, and the god Kronos actually ate his own children. <laughs> so he devoured his own children to keep them from surplanting his rule. So think of time as uh, the Kronos time as this kind of destructive time. And Kairos is this generative type of time. It's a time that gives back. A good example is when Ecclesiastes in the Bible talks about there being a time and a season to everything underneath of the sun. There's a time. And when we follow these times, we can enter into the church seasons, we can enter into the moments um, in, in a, a more spiritually awake way, I believe. So Advent is the season which brings about. It's not, it might feel like Advent and Christmas is the time that eats away, but it's actually time that gives. And did you ever notice that there's a particular time for Christmas? That the church placed Christmas at a particular time in the year. You see the winter solstice is usually around the 22nd or the 23rd. So the church decided that the right time for Christmas would be at the darkest moment of the year. At the darkest moment of the year, the longest night, the coldest time for those of us in the northern hemisphere, Jesus comes like God is striking a match and illuminating his presence with people. So we have an important time that we need to think about when we enter into the season. But there's also an interesting connection to another part of time that we see in Scripture, and that's one that you guys have been hanging out a little bit in in the book of Revelation, and that is the second coming. The second coming of Jesus, this idea of Jesus coming back. So what's the connection between Christmas and the second coming? You see the word Advent in Latin is Adventus, but the Greek word is parousia, so if you were to find that word when it's in the scripture, parousia, it's the same as Advent, and it's exactly the word that Jesus uses when he's talking about his coming, his second coming. And so I want to look kind of quickly today into the Gospels where Jesus is talking about his Advent, his parousia, his appearing. And if we look, we'll find this in a passage that's called the Olivet Discourse, we call it the Olivet Discourse because it was a sermon that Jesus preached on the Mount of Olives. 
and it's found in Matthew chapter 24. I won't, it's not on the screen, but if you want to look for Matthew chapter 24 on your phone, it's pretty easy to find. And we're going to be looking at the first few verses and then jumping down to verses 36 through 43. In this passage, Jesus is with his disciples. They've just left the temple area. And as they're walking to the Mount of Olives, away from the temple, Jesus looks back at the temple, and he says to the disciples something that kind of causes them to get excited. He says, I'm telling you the truth, that temple and all the bricks that are stacked up to make that temple, none of those bricks will be standing on each other when it's the end time. Those things are going to be taken apart. Well, that was pretty alarming for the disciples to hear Jesus talk about the destruction of the temple, which was central to the Jewish spiritual world. So when they got to where they were going, Jesus' disciples came over to him, and they started asking him questions. And they said, Jesus, tell us when this will happen. Tell us what will be the sign of the end of time or the end of the age. And so the disciples are asking Jesus about the parousia, the advent in Latin. Now, the Greek philosopher Plato uses the same word parousia in his writings. But when Plato uses the word, he uses it to mean participation. So when will God come and appear and participate with humanity in making all things that are wrong, right again. That's the, the big idea of the second coming is like, when is God going to do something about the world around us? So I might ask you, have you ever looked around the world with all the challenges that are in our world and thought of your faith and thought of these songs we sing, you're a good, good father, and then you go out and you see all the challenges, and have you ever wanted to kind of Ask God, God, what in the world are you doing? What is going on? And the disciples were also living in a world that was very chaotic, and they were asking the same question. So we want to look at how Jesus answers this question, because it's not just a question of when will God come, it's a question of how is God going to come, and what is God going to do? And here is a bit of Jesus' response. He says in verse 36, But about that day and hour no one knows, neither the angels of heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. For as the days of Noah were, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as the days before the flood they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the day Noah entered into that ark, and they knew nothing until the flood came and swept them all away. As too will be the coming of the Son of Man. And the Son of Man is always the title that Jesus uses to refer to himself. He adds, Then two will be in a field, one will be taken, and one will be left. Two women will be preparing a meal together, and one will be taken, and one will be left behind. Keep awake, therefore, for you do not know what day or hour that the Lord is coming. But understand this, if the owner of a house had known what part of the night a thief might come and break in, he would stay awake, and he would not leave his house to be broken into. So, therefore, you must also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming 
at an unexpected hour. Now, okay, I hear some of you, you're like, that just got really heavy. <laughs> that just got really serious there, talking about the end times and Jesus taking people, or you know, people being taken away, people being left behind. I just want to point out one thing. Just, and I'll, I'll kind of show me by a show of hands here. Is anybody familiar with that genre of Christian um, fiction, Left Behind? This, okay, so I'm, like, I'm not going to go in heavy on this one, but I just want to point out something that's really, really fascinating. In that idea of rapture in that series, the people who are taken away are actually in the better case, right? Whereas Jesus is actually saying the opposite thing right here. He's not saying... He's saying someone's going to be taken away to be judged. The person who's left behind in this scenario is actually the person who's being spared. So I just want to kind of correct that a little bit to say there's something that we need to pay attention to, and we want to maybe take some of the, uh, the existing ideas we have and kind of like keep them at bay in our head a little bit here. So there's this idea of being left behind. And I might also ask, have you ever left anyone behind? So I brought my son Ezekiel here. Uh, he's my visual aid for today because um, I actually left Ezekiel behind somewhere once. <laughs> so we were skating on the Rideau Canal with the church group, and there was like 15,000 people on the Rideau Canal, and I completely left Ezekiel behind. So it's my moment to say I'm really sorry about that, son. Um, the, the worst part of it was that we had a friend with him whose parents had completely entrusted their 10-year-old with me also, and I left him behind also. Uh, but we found them, so it's all good. So the, the theme of this passage, though, is about readiness. It's like being ready. Um, it's, it's, uh, you don't want to be taken away. Um, you want to be ready for this moment. And I wanted to point out this structure. This is kind of really cool, and, I, and this is called biblical chiasm. Uh, so people who nerd out on, like, biblical literature, this is really, really cool. A lot of the New Testament is structured in a way that was easily um, memorized and retold. And so they have these parts to it. You'll see that the top part, part A, and the bottom part, part A, match up. So the coming of the Son of Man will be like Noah. The Son of Man is going to come, be ready. Two men will be in a field, one will be taken. Two women will be grinding at a mill, one will be taken and one will be left. You, they did not know, you do not know. So there's this, there's this really cool way that the this, this scripture is actually put together on paper and, and the way that it's put into language. And Jesus gives four illustration points. He mentions a flood where people did not know the flood was coming. He mentions two men uh, that didn't know that someone was going to take one of them, two women, and he mentions a thief in a night breaking into a house. The message is the same for all four. Expect the unexpected. Be ready. Be aware. Do not fall asleep. Do not let your guard down. This is a message not so much about... Um, us being taken away as much as there's a message of Jesus coming to us. And that's really, really important when we look into this passage. Jesus is not saying, this is all about what I'm going to take you away to. He's saying, you need to be ready for when I come back to where you are. So the parousia is about Jesus' arriving, his advent, his coming and participating with us in what will ultimately be a move toward complete redemption, reconciliation, and renewal in the world. And Matthew, as the gospel writer here, is putting the emphasis 
less on the end of the world and more on God's kingdom pressing into our world now. So Matthew's in the immediate in this text, and he follows this up with a, a quick hypothetical situation of a wise and a foolish servant. And I think that this, this hypothetical situation is great, great container for us today. He says, suppose a master goes away on a long trip, a person who owns an estate, and he puts a servant in charge of the estate while he's gone. How will the servant behave while the master is away? A wise servant would, be, would work hard as he's instructed so that when the master comes back, he's going to be found at work, and then he would be rewarded. But only a foolish servant would use that time while the master's away to throw a lavish party and then possibly be surprised if the master comes home early to find him not being faithful. Now, I have four sons. Ezekiel's one of them. I have three more at home. And I can tell you there is something dangerous about this question. When my children say, so when are you going to come back? Like, if parents who go on out of town or go away, if, if, if your kids ever say to you, so, Dad, can you tell me exactly when you're going to be back? That should trip off some things in your mind. You're just like, okay, can you tell me exactly where your friends are going to be tonight? Like, I just need to know. Because this, this idea is like, I just need to know so that I have everything taken care of, Dad, before you come home and you don't find the mess that we were in. Or if you gave me instructions to do something, I need to know when is the last five minutes that I have that I can actually clean up the house like you said to clean up. And I think that the foolish man in this passage is like that. The foolish man is, is, is someone who says, I'm going to take advantage of this situation. I'm going to make this about me while the master's away. So here's what we need to remember about this passage. The disciples, what are they looking toward? They're looking at the future. They're saying, what's going to happen in the future? And Jesus is constantly drawing them back to the present. He's, always, he's drawing them back to where they are. And I might ask, where is the church focused today? Are we focused on the present situations around us? Are we focused on the idea that, you know, we're just got to persevere here, and then when the end of time comes, like God's going to come back and take us away in a spaceship to another world? Kind of just throw this broken world up and toss it in the cosmic waste can? Is that our idea? Or do we have this idea of a Jesus who said to us, I've come once, I did a redemptive work, and I will be coming again, so please pay attention. Watch the way you live. Be at work in the kingdom now. In the fourth century, St. Augustine corresponded with a Roman general named Boniface. Boniface was a governor in North Africa. And he was so discouraged by the state of the, of the world at that time that he was tempted to abandon his post, withdraw from public life, and take up a monastic life. He corresponded with Augustine, and Augustine sent him back this following answer. He said, we ought not to want to live ahead of our time with the saints and with the righteous. But be present where you are. So he says, stay where you are and be faithful where you are. My mom would have just simply said it this way. Some people are so heavenly minded, they're of no earthly good. 
Their head's so much in heaven that they're not paying, pre- they're not paying attention to the present moment. Or I've even heard Christians say casually about different evils in the world. It's okay. I've read the end of the Bible. I know how it's going to turn out. And I think that there's a real danger there. There's a real danger in saying, God, you take care of it. When God is telling us to already be at work. It's a danger of what I would call a realized eschatology. But if I put that into a simple French word, it's like thinking of, it's like a fait accompli kind of thinking. It's just like, it's taken care of. It's all taken care of. I don't need to worry. I don't need to worry about my neighbor. I don't need to worry. It's like, but Jesus is saying, please don't be found like that when I come back. Please don't be found like that. So how can we take this passage seriously and apply it into our lives today? How does Scripture instruct us to think and to live and to act? Here's a few takeaway points that I'll end with. One is we can look at this passage and we can also see that our world is headed for great distress. That is something we have in common. Jesus equates this time with floods, with world-altering um, with world-altering uh, natural disasters, he, extreme weather, food shortages, an increase in wickedness. Jesus even used this word to describe the end times. He said, at that time, love of most people will grow cold during that time. I look around the world and I say, love has grown cold with a lot of people. But you see, this distress in the world points us to our ultimate hope in Jesus. We should want a world where Jesus is making things right. We should want a world where Jesus is is present and participatory in our work as people and as a church. And God has been faithful with us and long-suffering. God's uh, love is described as long-suffering in Scripture. And so therefore, we need to also be faithful, like God is faithful. We need to be productive and at work rather than having an, um, an escapist kind of apathy. There's a beautiful passage in Romans 13 that follows this up and says, and do this, understanding the present time. The hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. So we need to be busy with righteous living and not self-righteous believing. Thinking or believing all of the right things is not the definition of righteousness. Living rightly is the definition of righteousness. It's the things that we put into action or, or the way that Quaker spirituality would say, uh, let your life speak. Let your life preach. Let your actions preach the gospel. Let the good news of God's love and kingdom be lived out. God's kingdom is calling us to live in the here and in the now. God's kingdom of reign was already inaugurated with Jesus, and we can go ahead and live into that reign even though we still live in a broken and fallen world. But how do we do that? How do we live with kind of one foot in one canoe and one foot in another canoe? 
We have a foot in both worlds. Here's a simple spirituality hack that I will give you. Try to ask this question. Whatever it is you do, for a job or during the day or for a vocation, ask this question. How would I do that in heaven? How would I do my work if I were working in God's world? How would my work be done? So at Christian Direction, I often say, in God's world, children would get help with their homework. So one of the things we do is we help kids with homework who are struggling. I think in God's world, children get help with their homework. I think in God's world, older community members have confidence that there's enough food for them. And that's why we run a food security program, is because we think God cares about that. That is good news for us, and that's good news for them. And that's the kind of world we want to live in. In God's world, immigrant children would be welcomed into our city, and they would be taught local language and customs so that they can integrate in. And that's why we have a children's library that serves immigrant families. So how, is your, how would your work be done, and what would be the utility of your work, or the way you would do your work if you can't see a spiritual or a good nature to the kind of job you have, how would you do it in a way that you would do that if you were living already in God's kingdom? Because God's kingdom has already begun. And we know this because when we pray, we pray, let your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let God, your desires and your ways be done on earth in my earthly job the way that it would be in heaven. So this might seem like an incredible task. It reminds me of a story of hope that I really like. A story of the elephant and the ants. The elephant stepped on an anthill one day and he destroyed an entire colony's home. The ants climbed up the elephant's leg to attacked him in revolt, but the elephant began shaking them off and beating the ants off until there was only one ant left. That ant held on with all his might around the neck of the elephant, and all the other ants yelled up at him, strangle him, strangle him. So it might seem like an impossible task. You might feel like that last ant and trying to take down an elephant. This is a time of year when a lot of people feel that way and are struggling. It's darker, it's colder, the days are short, the nights are longer. It's a challenging time of year for people. Maybe you're a younger person and you're seeking, how, how would I do this? How would I put this into practice? Maybe you don't even know what's next. You're just struggling to know what's the next step in your life. So hear me say this. Wherever you're at emotionally, if you came here with, a, with wounds, with scars, with suffering, I'm sorry. I care about that pain. And there are people in this room that care about those struggles. I can only invite you to this. Try to do something in the present. Don't allow a bleak outlook of the future rob you of what is good in the present moment. And I think we need to do that as a people, to look at the challenging future, the bleakness of the world, and to gather together and say, but what do we do in this present moment? And so as your church, 
continues on in Revelation in the next couple weeks, I want to challenge you to read those last few chapters in that light of being found faithful in the present so that when Jesus comes back, he's joining us in what we're already doing. I'm going to ask the band to come up. We're going to sing a, a, a short song as we close. And I want to take the time to pray with you. And it's going to be a simple prayer. I want to pray that God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit would show up. That God would show up in your lives, in our lives, in our daily life, our weekly rhythms, in this season of Advent, that God would show up. So God, in your grace and mercy, hear our prayer that you show up. And then I want to pray a prayer that we show up. That when we don't feel like showing up, when we feel a bit abandoned or lonely, that we will think of this passage and we will remember that we have been loved by God. We have been given this work of God. So God, in your grace and mercy, give us power and faithfulness to show up also for you and your kingdom. Lord, thank you for this time together. We leave these things with you and your great love for us. Amen. Thanks so much, Tim, for sharing. I don't know about you. I was taking notes, writing them down, took some pictures of the screen. There was a couple of lines that uh, I felt God just kind of put his finger on. Think about this. Pray about this. Um, welcome the work of the Spirit with this theme. And um, I trust that that was also the case for many of you today. We're going to just take a moment as the team leads us in song before we wrap up today. I just, just take this time just to let maybe some of those phrases, some of the things that God started to work in your heart over the message just to begin to work even more deeply um, in you through that as, uh, as we sing and as we worship. I just also want to pray for Tim and the ministry. God, we thank you for Tim. We thank you for the ministry of Christian Direction. We thank you for the collaboration that they spark among the church in our city. We thank you for the call, the reminder that they uh, give us to be faithful witnesses. We've been learning about this, God, all through the book of Revelation to be a faithful witness. And I just uh, thank you for that call and that reminder. Uh, and as we take these next, just these next few moments to allow you to take even further in our hearts what we've read in Scripture, what's been unpacked, we invite you, we welcome your word, your intention, um, to call us out. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. We hope this message helps guide you on your spiritual journey of discovering the life and message of Jesus. We update this podcast weekly, so why not hit subscribe and journey with us? Who are we? Westside Gathering is a local church in the West Island of Montreal. We're a simple community of faith where we want you to feel welcome, even if you're not into church or religion. We meet every Sunday, but you can also find smaller groups, environments, and resources for all ages between Sundays. 
Find out more at westsidegathering.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Vimeo. We'd love to hear from you. Ask a question, ask for help, or let us know how we can pray for you. If you'd like to contribute financially, just go to westsidegathering.com forward slash giving. Until next time, peace.